Hey, we've been in a series on Ecclesiastes. Uh, that's where we get this, this great slide that the Brendan Bergen's put together, uh, Life Under the Sun. And uh, two weeks ago, BP introduced you to the book of Ecclesiastes. Last week, he spoke on how Ecclesiastes speaks into wisdom and the, the challenge of wisdom under the sun and the expectation. And throughout all these sermons, we'll be talking about the fact that the Bible reflects truth about what life is like without God, without having a relationship with God. That's what it means to be under the sun. One of the things I love about the Bible is the fact that it's honest. If you read a lot of different religious literature from different faiths and stuff, they kind of create these super spiritualities or this this kind of out of touch with, with the, the pain of the world and escapism. The Bible really lands the airplane on the realities of life. And the idea of being under the sun is the idea of the fact that if you walk in this world without a relationship with God, there's going to be significant challenges. And the Bible speaks directly to those things. As a matter of fact, as BP has stressed week after week, the term vanity, vanity, or meaningless, meaningless, is really the final outcome of what takes place. So this book can be very confusing. It's intended to make us think but it's also trying to help contrast what life is like without God versus what life is like when you have a relationship with God. Now, in that regard, this morning we're going to be looking at the topic that Ecclesiastes speaks on the issue of work. You've picked that theme up through what Steve was saying and through some of the music we were singing. We're going to be looking at work. And we want to begin with a video that might reflect some of the experiences that you've had at work. It's a little bit dark at places, but see if you can watch it and, and, uh, and relate to it. vanity, all is vanity. But maybe you felt that way at work before. I know that there have been times I have felt that way. And and Ecclesiastes speaks to the realities of the struggles that we have at at work. Um, Before we get into that, though, one thing I want to bring up, BP has been bringing up some very helpful little things about interpreting the book of Ecclesiastes. Something that I think is important for us to remember is that Jesus said, you can't understand or read the Old Testament without seeing it that it's talking about him. And it's critically important for us as we get into Ecclesiastes or other parts of the Old Testament to recognize that Jesus said you have to look for him and look back at the Old Testament through New Testament eyes. Look at these verses. First is a verse in John, John 5, which says, you search the scriptures, and he's speaking to the Old Testament scholars here. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you'll have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. And the, the second verse we want to look at is from, John, uh, from Luke 24, where Jesus is walking along the road to Emmaus. It says that the, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, and that means the Old Testament, the things concerning himself. And so whenever we read in the Old Testament, we have to ask God to give us New Testament eyes to read it. 
A friend of mine once said, it, it goes something like this. The new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. So we want to look at Ecclesiastes and the Old Testament through New Testament eyes. And we're going to do that as we look at the idea of, of work this morning. Now we're going to go begin by looking at, at, at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 18 to 26. And you might recognize these verses. They're the ones that BP referenced at the, at, in the first sermon on this topic. But we're going to look at them again. I'll read them and you kind of read them as uh, quietly as I read them out loud. The writer says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What is a man for all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, that is God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. So what we see here is Ecclesiastes, the author, writing about work. And these themes weave throughout the entire book. Now, before we look at Ecclesiastes, we need to see it in the context of the broader Old Testament. And we're going to go all the way back to Genesis to see where work comes from in the first place. And the thing you have to remember is that Genesis will teach that work is good, but it's been impacted by the fall. And if you don't know what the word fall means, we'll get to that in a minute, okay? Work is good, but it's been impacted by the fall. We start at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. Now, this is before the fall or before Adam and Eve decided that they were going to try to be like God and do things on their own and rebel against him. This is before that. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over everything. And there's a whole bunch of stuff there that I just put under everything. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and have dominion over every living thing. Now let's look at a couple of things in there. First it says that God created us, human beings, and he created us to be like him in his image. And part of being in his image is that we are creators as well. We create in, in our image-bearingness of God, we create things. And God then also has dominion over all the world. But he says, I am going to give dominion over everything to humanity. So we see God's good. He made us in his image. He made us as persons who create things. He's given us dominion. 
And yet, and yet, Adam and Eve rebelled against him. That's what's called the fall. Adam and Eve said, we want to do things our own way. We want to be like God. And by the way, that's reflected very often in work. We want our work to be the way that we're going to be God. We're going to be like God in the context of our work. And so God had to respond to this rebellion through what's called the fall, through, the, through a curse. And he cursed, he cursed Adam and he cursed Eve. And part of that curse was dealing with work. God said, let us make, excuse me, go to the next passage if you would. In, verse, in chapter 3, he said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. Note here, God is not cursing work per se. Work is still good, but it's been impacted by the fall. So that it's by the sweat of our brows, by the sweat of our face, we'll bring forth our food, but, but it's going to have thorns and thistles and struggles in the midst of that work. Now, you have to understand this. The idea that work is good, though it is cursed by the fall, is radical. It's a radical thought. In the days when Moses was writing, there were numbers of other cultures that were creating what might be called creation myths. Maybe you've heard from your history classes in the past, the Enuma Elish, or other things like this. But if you look over all those different creation accounts, what you discover is that work is not considered good. Work is considered something bad. It's considered something that the gods, however they're viewed, places humanity under to kind of keep them in control. And, and, and work is considered something difficult, but also bad and, and wrong. And the gods don't get themselves messed up in all those kinds of things. The Bible is radically different in its view of work. The supreme illustration of this, again, having New Testament eyes, is to look at Jesus, God incarnate in a human being. And during his earthly life, Jesus actually had two careers, Yes, one was as Messiah, but the other was as a carpenter. And that's mind-boggling when you think about it. Jesus came and became a working-class business person, probably in the family business, taking over Joseph's carpentry shop when Dad, when Dad passed away. And in so doing, Jesus gave dignity to work. How much more dignity can God give to work than for his son, to become a carpenter, to work as a laborer, as a business person, as an artisan. And through his work, Jesus loved others and blessed others. So we see this important fact as we look at Ecclesiastes that we remember that work is good, even though it's been impacted by our rebellion against God. Now, clearly, Ecclesiastes says there's something wrong with work. And as we reflect upon the passage which we read, and we'll be looking at parts of that again in a moment, we recognize the fact that because of the fall, 
because of our brokenness, because Adam and Eve said, I want to be like God. Work has become something through which we define ourselves. Work is that which we classify ourselves by. Every time you meet someone, what's one of the very first things you say when you stick out your hand? Hey, what do you do? What do you do for a living? We define ourselves by our work. We use our work to validate ourselves. We use it to experience meaning, to give us a sense of purpose. And what Ecclesiastes says is that ultimately, work is going to disappoint us if we put that much freight on it, if we put that much weight on it to define ourselves, to frame ourselves, to give ourselves that sense of meaning purpose, to frame all of that. Ecclesiastes 2, verses 18 and 23, he says, I hated that toil with which I toiled under the sun. Look at the things he's saying. I hated that. I'm going to give it to somebody else. Who knows what kind of a person he's going to be? Is he going to be a jerk, a fool? He's going to be master over all I, I gave myself to. I gave my heart up to despair, he says, because of all my labors under the sun. This is vanity. This is a great evil. The author is saying, Work is going to disappoint us. But he also embedded in these verses is saying what we really want to get out of work. Why does he say, I hate my toil? Why does he say, I'm going to be totally in despair? Because of what he expected to get out of it. He expected the work to give him something that it can't give. And now I'm going to turn it over to others who can botch it up. My dad went through an experience like this. He moved our whole family to Washington, D.C., and he worked for an agency called the Farm Credit Administration. And they do a great work lending money to farmers for them to be able to to do their work. And for years, I remember my father would, with a deep sense of pride, say, you know, the Farm Credit Administration is the only, only one of two agencies in the entire United States government that works in the black. Everybody else is working in deficit, but we're able to, to, to work in the black. And he was proud of that. And the older he got, the more the younger generation came in to take over. And what did the younger generation do? They sent it into the red, deficit spending. And now, of course, there's not an agency in the United States government that's in the black. But my dad was frustrated at the the end of his career. He'd worked all his life for this agency. And now these guys are taking it down into deficit spending. But you see, beneath that, we want our work to make us something. We want to talk to other people and say, I am worthy of your respect because of what I do. We want to look to God and say, God, through my work, I'm accomplishing something in this world. You need to accept me, God, and others. You need to accept me because of who I am and because of what I do. And you know what that is? That's a covenant of works. That's a covenant which says, I am going to try to make myself worthy before you and before all the world through what I do, and it will never satisfy us. 
We believe our hands and our labors will save us, but they won't. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, it all ends up in futility and frustration. And I've seen it in my own home. I've seen it with my father, who at the end of his career wondered whether it was worth the time and the energy he gave it to. He gave it over to these others and they were taking it down the tubes. What are we going to do? Ecclesiastes has to be seen through New Testament eyes. And this is the key thing I want you to grasp this morning. Because of Jesus, and you can put this up, because of Jesus, we are free to serve God and others with our work. Now, each part of this statement is important. What is the real purpose of work? What is the real significance of work as God has created it? We get a glimpse of it in the book of Ecclesiastes. We saw it in verses 24 and 26. Let's look at those again. There's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment, enjoyment in his toil. The writer is saying you can find enjoyment in your toil. How? This I saw is from the hand of God. If we have a Godward perspective, the writer is saying, our toil can actually be a vehicle that can give us a level of enjoyment. He said, I saw this is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God's given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he's given the business of gathering and collecting only to give it to the one who pleases God. But do you see embedded in that? The author of Ecclesiastes is giving us a hint. He's saying there's something happens to our work, something is transformed in our work when we see God and place God in the right place in our lives. Suddenly we, we can find a level of enjoyment and satisfaction. He glimpses this later in, at the very end of the book in, in chapter 12, verse 13, where he sums up and says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his command, now, commandments. Now, he said fear God there. That doesn't mean shake over in a corner and stand in, 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 in shaking. The f- word fear God means worship God, adore God, place yourself in a position of adoration of God. And and then out of love for God, keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. The writer is saying, this is how you get yourself straight. By adoring and worshiping God and keeping his commandments. Now, in the New Testament, Steve already showed us passages in Colossians. And there are passages, again, throughout the the New Testament, which reflect the same thing. But let's just look again at the verses Steve showed us earlier. Paul says, whatever you do, that's the work, in word or deed, do everything. Why? In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Again, he says, whatever you do, work heartily, wholeheartedly, give yourself to it, as work done for the Lord, not for man. He's saying, you're not working for the man. You're not working for your boss. You're working for Jesus, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance of your, as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. This completely turns work on its head. No longer am I trying to work to make a name for myself. No longer am I trying to define myself or, or build a rationale for my existence. No longer am I trying to have you be pleased through me. Or to have you be admiring me through my work. Now I'm doing it for the Lord Christ. 
giving myself wholeheartedly, giving thanks to God the Father in his name. Let me share with you a story about a person who experienced this. Maybe you've heard of John Coltrane. John Coltrane is lauded by musicians as one of the greatest saxophone, jazz saxophonists of all time. And in his early in his career, he got would be considered one of the greatest gigs in jazz music that you could get. He was playing with Miles Davis, the great trumpet player in his band, and he was the sax player in his band. The problem was that he was also strung out on heroin and alcohol. And so his playing in the band was unreliable. There were nights he'd play and he would just blow people's socks off with his brilliance. Other nights he would be as flat as a pancake in the way he was playing. And Miles Davis got so frustrated with Coltrane that he finally just fired him. He said, I can't put up with this anymore. It's too erratic. I can't deal with you. That sent Coltrane into a time of reflection, which led him to an encounter with God. Later, he wrote what's considered his classic, his most brilliant masterpiece called A Love Supreme. And in the, and, and in the liner notes of The Love Supreme, this is what he wrote. Read it, read it. I'll read it out loud. I mean, read it. It says, during the year 1957, I experienced by the grace of God a spiritual awakening, which was to lead me to a richer, fuller, more productive life. At that time, in gratitude, I humbly asked to be given the means and privilege to make others happy through music. I feel this has been granted through his grace. All praise to God. See what Coltrane's saying there? He's saying, the purpose of my music is no longer to make a name for myself. The purpose of my music is no longer to feed my addiction. The purpose of my music is no longer to have people admire me. I ask God to help me have the privilege and the means to make others happy through music. Now, things didn't all go sweetness and light after that, just like they don't go sweetness and light for anybody who's trying to walk with God. There's going to be difficulties and challenges. He, went, he goes on in his liner notes to say this. As time and events moved on, a period of irresolution did prevail. That means he struggled. Okay? He said, I entered into a phase which was contradictory to the pledge and away from the esteemed path. But thankfully, he said, through the unerring and merciful hand of God, I do perceive and have been duly reinformed of his omnipotence and of our need for and dependence on him. At this time, I would like to tell you that no matter what, it is with God. He is gracious and merciful. Now, you might say to yourself, well, what does this have to do with work? Before Coltrane experienced God's grace, his music was all about him. But when his music became an offering to God, it wasn't about himself. It was about God and serving other people in God's name. You see, Jesus died on the cross and rose again so that we would no longer have to live under a covenant of work. 
We no longer have to prove ourselves to others or to ourselves or to God. As Steve was saying earlier, we can become secure as his children, adopted, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. We're accepted because Jesus fulfilled the covenant of work for us. He did what we could not do. He fulfilled the laws of God and did the work so that we could be accepted in him. When our meanings in God, our work can become an offering to God. Work no longer has to enslave us. It can become a way of serving God and others. Genesis says, by the work of the sweat of our brows, we'll be cursed. Ecclesiastes says that work focused on self-fulfillment is futility. But Jesus came and he fulfilled the covenant of works. And by God's grace, our work no longer needs to be about us. But like John Coltrane, it becomes a service of grace. So how are we to conclude this? Christian? And I'm talking to myself. We need to examine ourselves. Are we resting in Jesus' acceptance? Or is our work still about ourselves? Are we still seeking to define ourselves by our work? If so, we need to go to Jesus, and I'm speaking to myself. We need to go to Jesus and repent. We need to ask him to transform our work from something which we're doing to try to find self-fulfillment and self-definition and to do it in his name as a service to God and to others. Are you not a follower of Jesus? Ecclesiastes says, ultimately, then your work is going to be futility. You might not be there yet, but that's what you're going to face. If you're not a a follower of Jesus, the offer this morning is for you to find your acceptance in him. Then your work can be transformed by grace like John Coltrane's. And you can take on real purpose in life. Consider this, Christian, non-Christian. What is your work about? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I repent again and again for making my work an idol, defining myself by what I do, expecting others to respect me or not accept me because of what I've done. I've lived so often under the covenant of works. Forgive me. Lord, help us to understand what it means to be accepted by you as dearly beloved children, not on the basis of what we can do, but because you have said, I love you with an everlasting love and accept you because of Jesus. He has done what you cannot do. Rest in his love. Help me and help my friends 
to know what that means. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand. We're going to sing the song that we did earlier in the service again. The fields of the Lord, our work is rest. receive the benediction, that's a blessing that comes from God that I have the privilege to announce, to proclaim to you. And uh, you can make it a prayer if you'd like. If you don't, that's fine. I'd encourage you to lift out your hands and receive from the Lord his blessing. Now may the love of God our Father that he has expressed through Jesus and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which comes upon us as we know him, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that he has given to us so that we will not feel as though we're like orphans, but his children, his adopted children. May, the, may God bless you and keep you this week in his mercy, his love, and his grace. And all God's children said, amen. <laughs>